0: Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Josh. And this is the Bad at Magic podcast, a podcast about games, life, and other things. And welcome to episode 14. Episode 14,
1: even numbers. Gotta love even numbers.
0: So, right, so the, the, the most ahead. interesting
1: thing that I have about these even numbers is do, I, I ask people when I, when I see them about this. Like when you're in the car and you're driving somewhere and it's you and your spouse and you turn up the radio do you, are you a person that has to land on even numbers or are you a person that has to land on multiples of five?
0: Um, I've made a deliberate effort to try not to try to go to like multiples of five or prime numbers or you know, whatever. Like, the best volume for my TV is 17, and I'm just comfortable with that.
1: Oh, no, no, sir, that's that's completely <laughs> unacceptable. 17, get out of here. Nobody listens to oh, oof. all right, so it's I'm a multiples,
0: it's the right. It's the right level. Who cares what the no, number is? It It's it,
1: it's important, okay? The order of the universe dictates. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm an even numbers guy. So, like, if my wife leans over, she's she's a multiples of, actually, is she a multiple? Most of the time, she's a multiples of five. Because I'll put it to, like, 16 on the stereo, and she'll, like, notch it down one to 15. And okay. I'll let her get away with that most of the time. Multiples of five, I guess, are okay. If, if we can settle on a zero, like a ten, we're both happy with ten.
0: Nice. So the fact that you both care is interesting. Like, generally, I would say I care and Alicia doesn't.
1: Okay. To her is, and that's, it's
0: too loud.
1: Well, and that makes for a happy marriage, right? That's just one place where you two are compatible because one person cares about something arbitrary and the other person doesn't. As long as you don't overlap, then you don't have random fights about the volume of the radio, because in my experience being married, like those are the fights that are going to get you divorced.
0: (laughs) How, wait, how is it both arbitrary and important to you?
1: Well, it's arbitrary, but important. Like I I acknowledge that that that's completely arbitrary and dumb and has no meaning for anything, but I can't make my brain not care about the multiples of the volume on the radio.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I will. I think we should start a thread on this on the subreddit and see if we can get the audience a win. Like, what what number do you set the, the dial to? Or do you care whether it's an even or an odd number or a multiple of five?
1: Yep, there's going to be people that arbitrarily like this episode more than episode 15 and vice versa because of this phenomenon.
0: All right, well, welcome to episode 14. So <laughs> last time, as you and I were discussing how bad at magic, some of our favorite intellectual properties are, Uh, we ran out of time as we were about to delve into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so uh, you and I got together last weekend on our off week and recorded a bonus episode where we just talk about how bad at magic the Marvel Cinematic Universe is.
1: That was a wonderful discussion. I loved having it with you. But recording every weekend is putting a strain on my relationship with my wife. (laughs) I will throw that out there.
0: So that's why it's going to be a bonus episode. We're not going to do that every week, but uh, we it because it wasn't a normal episode and it didn't have our usual stuff surrounding it, we turned it into a bonus episode and we made it available on Patreon. So uh it, it, you don't there's no minimum limit if you want to be a Patreon supporter, but if you go to patreon.com slash uh you can join to be one of our Patre- patrons there on patreon.com, and you can have access to episode 13.5 and hear Josh and I talk about the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe being bad at magic. So we realize
1: that doing a podcast, like, you're getting this for free. Like, you, got, you need to acknowledge that. Like, we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts for you people. So, I mean, and now... With Ben's input, like, we're doing extra bonus stuff as an extra incentive for you to just, like, you know, at throw some...
0: At the peril of Josh's marriage. <laughs> That's right. I'm
1: endangering my relationship for you people. So, hey, <laughs> toss a coin to your Witcher and go on Patreon and get some bonus content.
0: All right. Well, over the course of this, I think we delved into a few good areas. One is that we start to establish a system where the us, as the co-hosts of the Bad at Magic podcast, will evaluate how bad at magic things are. And I love this. And I think we can do this going forward. Uh, We found some other areas we can definitely go into. And maybe as new things come out, we can kind of use this template that we've established of evaluating whether something's hard or soft magic and then how well they adhere to Sanderson's three laws of magic for utilizing magic and storytelling. Uh, One of our listeners pointed out that we hadn't talked about Lord of the Rings, which would be a great one to do at some point in the future.
1: I think this might be... So... there's always whole big genres like we didn't talk about a lot of the disney movies either like the disney animated movies i feel like that's something that we can wrap up into maybe some bonus content because there's so many in that genre but then we have a bunch of random one-off like really good movies like the lord of the rings trilogy maybe we could sprinkle those throughout the normal episodes as like a segment
0: okay um Yeah. I'd love that idea. Now, as we were doing this, we came up with a couple of new film theories that I just wanted to touch on real briefly. So the first one was, uh, I think me and one of my listeners were discussing this after the fact. Oh, oh, it's my wife, Alicia. And we were talking (laughs) about the origin of the magic system in Groundhog Day. You know, Bill Murray's character, uh, Phil Connors just kind of stumbles into this time loop where he's reliving the same day over and over. Well, Ultimately, what brings him out of it is that Andy McDowell's character, Rita, stays with him voluntarily. And my wife noted, and as many times as I've watched that film, that this has some striking similarities with Beauty and the Beast, which is that the beast, the selfish, self-absorbed, you know, caustic beast, is not released from his curse until Beauty falls in love with him.
1: Uh, yeah, like that's kind of an allegory for like he has to go through some inner change to recognize that to change in some way that other people would approve of, which is both a good and a bad message when you think about it. But at the same time, like that's kind of a, a long running trope in a lot of stories is that um, like the antagonist or even the protagonist is their own worst enemy and they have to redeem themselves through like finding change or some action that they have to do that they wouldn't have done at the beginning of the movie. Like, this is... Well, specifically in thing. the
0: respect of answering the question about the source of this unknown magic. You know, where did it come from? What are the rules governing in it? What, what will release him from the spell? He does lots of good things after he goes through the five stages of grief, but the only one that actually releases him is the love of Rita
1: so i I don't know like these are these are the questions that make the movie more interesting, like if they had answered these questions, it would have been a worse movie in my opinion like we all of that we take all of that the weirdness that's happening, and we shove it to the background because that's not the important thing that's happening. It's an interesting sure. plot device to drive the change of this character, but what we care about is Phil and his transformation and can I point this out? I didn't yes. point this out the last time we talked about Groundhog Day, but like. That movie, what made me really click in that movie, like how amazing like that was, like his transformation specifically is he didn't know how to play the piano, at all, and then he went to <laughs> piano lessons every day, so, uh, uh, presumably, and then there's a scene in the movie where he is laying down no sheet music, like full orchestral, just like ballads and pop jams. Jazz. totally different genres all like back to back without without a break, like how long does it take? one lesson at a time to become a complete beginner, never having touched a piano to a total like piano master.
0: So if you want to read some fascinating fan content on the web, there are some great fan theories out there about how long he was stuck in his time loop based on the skills that he developed. How long does it take to get that good at the piano from zero? How long does it take to learn to be able to toss cards into a hat from across the room?
1: 10,000 hours, right?
0: Right, exactly. So, uh, it, you know, if you add up all of those things that he seemingly learned to do, you can get a, a basic idea of how many years he was stuck in this time loop before he was finally released.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds... Uh, that would be terrible. That, frankly, would be terrible.
0: But but to sum up my little theory, I, it, it, a new lens through which to look at the story of Groundhog Day is a modern allegory of... A, re, a modern retelling of the story of Beauty and the Beast.
1: Oh, Everybody loves from the movie.
0: from the position of the beast rather than from that of beauty
1: i'm gonna I'm gonna hijack whatever you're gonna say next and we're gonna bring it right back to the the beauty and the beast that everyone knows and loves which is the Disney cartoon
0: good because because our listeners want to hear your your theory about why Gaston is not the bad guy
1: this is an important point that I need to make here okay okay what I am
0: putting forth
1: as my my argument, the baseline of my argument is not that Gaston is a good guy, not that Gaston isn't a narcissistic jerk. OK, what I'm saying is that he is not the villain of this movie. He is not the antagonist. He's kind of a bad person, but he is not the bad guy in the movie.
0: OK, Does that- so to make that assertion, we have to say then what what constitutes the villain, what what actually gives someone that title?
1: No, 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 no. The burden of proof is on you. You can't. Well, you're not going to do this. The burden of proof is on you to prove to me that Gaston is a bad guy because okay. nothing that he does in the movie is a villain's
0: actions. Well, if we want to, pro- if we want to promote this from a, I mean, analyze this from a pure literary sense, like we did some of the ones last week. Uh, last podcast, uh, where we talk about who's the protagonist and who the antagonist is. The protagonist is the one who changes, and the antagonist is the one who provokes the change. And in the case of Beauty and the Beast, the protagonist is, of course, Beast, and the antagonist, I guess, is Belle. So Anton's just kind of like, in he's just background noise. Gaston. Gaston, Anton, sorry. Who are
1: you saying, Anton? Get out of here,
0: Italian <laughs> dude.
1: No, all right, so, but like, they... I understand what you're saying. but like, yes, the story is about Belle and Beast and the transformation that Beast goes through. That's the story. But Disney movies are made for kids and kids need to have a bad guy so you can have this big action sequence in the third act so that climax is at a point where the kids and everybody knows that everything is resolved and it's a happy ending because otherwise, like the movie just kind of would have ended when Belle and Beast hugged at one point and like maybe like had a little smooch and then he turned it back into the prince and then the movie just is over. So that kind of peters out. It's you have funny because you just
0: described the climax of Groundhog Day.
1: Yeah. You see? Like, that's <laughs> it. Like, the, the plot just kind of ends and it's over. Yeah. But Gaston, like, all right, so this we're talking about a French village in, like, the mid to late 1800s. Will you give me that one? And we have Belle, who is the clear outsider of the whole village. Like, the entire opening number is about how weird she is and how she doesn't fit in she with She doesn't fit in. Yeah. She can read. She lives up in a house on a hill outside of the village with her father where constant yeah, explosions kind of can be heard.
0: No, She looks it, down on everybody. Hang
1: on a second. Constant explosions are heard in this house, right? She right. is like one snarky comment away from being burned at the stake for being a witch. <laughs> this is the problem is we're looking at, through the lens of modern like feminism and like women's so, and equal well, well, rights. Well,
0: she is enjoying a bit of, of uh, uh, what do I hot girl diplomatic immunity then
1: no but no nobody thinks that nobody thinks she's the hot girl everyone thinks she's the weird crazy Gaston woman. does Gaston is the only person there is an entire subgenre of romantic comedies about dudes realizing that the kind of frumpy weird girl that they've been hanging out with the whole movie is actually a good person and that's the person that they want to be with. Gaston skips that whole thing and he's like the whole to the whole town in defiance of the whole town. It's like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. She's great.
0: Wow. (laughs) Points to Gaston there, right? Everybody else just thinks she's weird and he's like, no, she's the best. Towards the end of the movie,
1: the father comes back and like, you have to help me. Belle is trapped in a, in a castle with a beast And I have this mirror, this magic mirror to prove it. The whole town should have burned him at the stake. And Gaston said, no, no, hang on a second. We're going to rally. I believe him. We're going to take the whole town and we're going to storm an enchanted castle with an eight foot giant monster thing to save the girl. In any other movie, he's the hero.
0: Yeah. They kind of couch it as narcissism, though. You know, he they doesn't c- want to just go save the girl that he's decided is one for him. He wants a—he a, wants to add another trophy head to his wall in the bar.
1: No. He wants to marry her. He wants to have children. He made that very clear when he proposed to her <laughs> outside of her house, okay? And now everybody looks at that, again, we're looking at that through the modern lens of like, oh, he's totally objectifying her as a woman. Yeah. It's the mid-1800s. Like, That's what society was then. Like, I'm sorry to tell you this, but like, if you look from a historical perspective, Uh, all right. If you want to be be
0: really historically accurate, then how old was she?
1: (laughs) She should have been like 14. But no, that's we're not going to go
0: there.
1: (laughs) Um, What else happens that is ridiculous? All right. So, um, the one thing, and this is this is the weakest part of my argument, is everybody says like, oh well, the one horrible thing that Gaston does is he tries to get the father committed to a sane asylum. And uses right. that as leverage to try to get Bell to, to marry him. Yeah, my counter seems pretty
0: down, down, dirty, rotten, down low.
1: That's pretty dirty, rotten, and down low.
0: I agree. However, there is a legitimate
1: argument to be made that that guy needed to be committed. Like again, he's the weird guy living by himself out on the hill, making steam powered things with axes on them that event that can like destroy stuff and kill people. Like he. Uh, he's the clear outsider. He's raving about this magic castle that no one's ever seen or heard of. He saw some giant thing out in the woods. He won't shut up about it. Like, he's clearly having delusions. He was already weird the first place. There is a very strong argument to commit this man in the first place. So really, like, it's an, it's the opposite. It's more like, listen, your dad's getting committed I might be able to swing something, but I need a little incentive. Like this is not something I'm going to do for a random person. This is going to be something I do for a family member.
0: All right. Well, you know, I'm only um, I'm only humoring you here because oh. I, I, I find that your uh, you know unique thought on this matter be very entertaining. But it's a, I'm sure this is a very unpopular opinion. Whenever you bring it up, of course, Gaston is a bad guy. What are you talking about, Josh? Typically,
1: people go, of course Gaston is the bad guy because the movie frames him as the bad guy. Right. And then, like, you put the burden of proof on the other person and I start making these points. And usually, like, most people I talk to, I can flip them. Like, huh. wow, Gaston wasn't really – like, it's it's the opposite of Wreck-It Ralph. Just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a bad guy. <laughs> All
0: right. I'm memeing that for the uh, show notes.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like, he's not the best person in the world. He's narcissistic. He's a jerk. He objectifies women, which – for the time frame that his character is supposed to exist in was probably normal but that doesn't make him the villain and like like we cheered and we're happy when he gets killed when the beast who kidnapped the girl and held her against her will for many months kills the guy who rallied the town to save her we're supposed to be happy about it
0: oh no no it was one of those standard disney deaths you know where the bad guy is the, the quote unquote bad guy is stabbing our protagonist with a knife. And then he incidentally falls from, you know, a great height to an, you know, unseen right, death. Yeah.
1: He wasn't killed so much as he died. Right. Or he, he fell into a river. He could be okay. He like, was a he, victim give you that of his
0: own narcissism. And they uh, really played be- up like that in that scene. You know, it's, he's doing something dangerous. And I think someone says to him like, look out, you're on the ledge or whatever. And, he slips and falls to his death.
1: I, I still, he yes, we're, like I said at the beginning of this whole thing, he's a narcissistic jerk, but he's not the villain. Okay, that that's my whole thing.
0: You can have it.
1: <laughs> you can no, 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 no. You can't give me something that I proved like uh, undeniably. Like that's this is, I had it coming into this conversation and I'm just informing you.
0: I, I was ready at the beginning to, to just hear what you had to say about this, but I already was off, off the train. Cause I don't think, you know, as far as antagonist and protagonist goes, Gaston isn't even in the picture. He was just filling oh. a role in a traditional Disney film.
1: Yeah, exactly. But all right. I want to open up to the listeners then listeners. I'm that guy at the card table. I've got the sign Gaston is not the bad guy. Change my mind. I'll see you in the Reddit.
0: All right. We're doing that. Let's, let's do some bad at parenting, but I, I, I will uh, do the bad at parenting here. So, I started a discussion on Facebook this week. I didn't put it on, on the Bad at Magic page, but I'm going to open the discussion up there. I got an email from my kids' school uh, asking me if I would donate uh, time, funds, and supplies to the school carnival. And I, I had this moment, you know, record scratch image flash through my mind of all the school carnivals I've gone through now that I'm at my last remaining child in elementary school of six children.
1: So you gave exactly the same amount that you gave for each and every other child.
0: <laughs> Very good. Um, so, <laughs> of course, all of this morality is tugging at me. Like, I can't show favorites. I should, I should give the same level of effort and, and engagement to my sixth child as I did to my first child. All those things went through my mind. And the number one overriding emotion was just revulsion for the experience of going to an elementary school carnival. I just... It's nauseating. I, it, you know, it's poorly organized. It's not fun. The, it, it's usually backed up. Their ticketing system... It's just a, it's just a glorified fundraiser, and, and it just turns into chaos.
1: So, I'm going to put this burden back on you. The reason it's poorly organized, the reason that it's got these bad <laughs> logistical things, is because they didn't have stalwart, hardcore, well-thought-out oh. organizers and volunteers, Ben. If you wanted to make it better, you had every opportunity and you decided to do nothing and just show up.
0: You know what? Uh, You're doing that uh, devil's advocate thing amazingly well and screw you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my dilemma is I have, I can either, I don't know, just part of reaching out to my friends on Facebook was about getting a pep talk. And some of them commiserated, which I appreciated a little bit. But really, I just knew I would to go, come on, man. You can do this just one last time. Go to the school carnival, you know, suffer through it, and let your last kid have a good time.
1: You should have gone to the last school carnival as, like, a celebration. Like, you should have been in a Hawaiian shirt with, like, the flowers
0: <laughs> and, like, a, a beverage of your choice look in like hand. I like an insane man compared to, like, the parents with an only child. You should have
1: been cheering. Like
0: whatever, all the little like skits and stuff that the little kids do, just like clapping your
1: your your head off and like what's going on? It's like oh, this is number six and I'm done.
0: Yes, last school (laughs) carnival, woo! Last hurrah. Yeah, it's like those memes of parents sending you know first day of school where the kids are like moping off and the parents are cheering. Yeah, I get it. So here here's here's what I decided. I'm like okay, she hasn't asked me yet about it. I'm not gonna bring it up. I got the email from the school. She's getting the pep talk about it every day. <laughs> I'm
1: already shaking my head, listeners. This is this. All right, go ahead, Ben. I'll let you finish your, if, your course of action. If she
0: comes to me and says, "Dad, I want to go to the school carnival," I'll do it. I'll I'll smile. I'll say, "Okay, sweetheart," and I'll get my coat and I'll take her to school carnival. If she doesn't bring it up, I'll just I'll consider it an Abraham moment. Which is a name I have for a situation, it's an Old Testament story where Abraham was commanded by God to sacrifice his only son. Uh, He took him up on the mountain, he put him on the altar, he got the knife. I'm
1: aware of the Abraham story. Okay,
0: well, let me retell it anyway. And he raised his (laughs) hand to stab his child, and then the angel came and stopped him and he didn't actually have to do it. Now, I have these moments in my life, and I call them Abraham moments, where I fully intend to do something good. I proceed as if I'm going to, and then when I don't have to, I'm relieved. I call it an Abraham moment. So I'm waiting for an Abraham moment with the school carnival here. If my daughter doesn't come and ask and the date passes and she, and we don't go to the school carnival, I'll put down the knife and be glad. But, but if I have to, I'll go to the school carnival.
1: So I identify these moments kind of the same way. But I call them duty-desire conflicts. Okay, right. Because there's a conflict going on where this is why you feel bad about the whole thing. is because you feel that you have a duty to do it, but you desire not to. Right. When, whenever I identify these conflicts then I immediately like, oh, I need to turn off my feelings. And that's analyze this from a pure utility perspective. I don't want to go. So I'm not going to go. That said, like your kids, like throw the scales, like throw that out the window when it comes to your kids. You're going, period. And you know, you know, look me in the eye and tell me that you don't know. Guy number six is going to tell you 15 minutes before it starts.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're so right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Dad, there's a carnival tonight. I need to go tonight oh.
1: right now f- yeah. cancel all your plans like no you need you need to get out ahead of this as a parent oh, that's your job God. man you got to be the responsible one
0: oh, I
1: see. that's yeah. first of all now now second I'm gonna stop being devil's advocate and I'm gonna go on your side for a second okay, because,
0: okay. Like, I need in
1: a, in a similar fashion um, our my son's elementary school has got a new like social outreach person or something in their office And I swear to you, I must get four or five mass automated text messages from the elementary school every day about everything. What? All the inane stupid stuff like, oh, tomorrow's a half day, remember? Oh, and we're looking for volunteers to make the teacher's lunch. Oh, and then there's going to be the fundraiser next week. And it's like, just stop.
0: Roll all that stuff up and send me a weekly email. (laughs) That that I can delete or set a
1: rule to (laughs) automatically go to my (laughs) spam folder when we're talking about elementary school fundraisers, I feel like this school is hitting us, the parents up for money way more than my school did. Maybe I just didn't see it. Yeah. Like listeners, listeners, it's, if you're older, please it's like reverse like, hazing. Yeah, some, chime in because I feel like I'm getting hit up at least twice a week for money from the school. It,
0: is this like an actual socionomic? socioeconomic outcome of the baby boom generation like when we were kids we were like this numerous generation and the and the you know average number of children per family was like 3.6 and now that it's starting you know approaching two uh maybe the the tides have turned and the tables have turned and there's an actual problem that they're that you're seeing the the side effects of
1: that would only make sense if the schools were funded per capita instead of just like with flat budgets, in which case like the flat budget was super high because of the baby boomer generation, so having fewer kids should lead to smaller class sizes with higher per capita funding. That doesn't seem to be what's happening. Okay. But like this that's me, the, that's the accountant talking.
0: I, get, but, I give our users a lot of credit, and I don't think there's anyone out there that thinks I don't love my last child, but just as evidence that I do, my wife came to me last night and says, your daughter joined the running club. She needs a new pair of running shoes. I said, great. I threw her in the car and her and I went shoe shopping for about the same amount of time it would take to go to the school carnival. I tried to get her to buy a pair of Nike Air Max 95s. Unfortunately, uh, she would, wasn't having it. <laughs> grown.
1: Those are not running shoes. Okay, keep going.
0: <laughs> But I spent time with my daughter because I love her.
1: Yeah, but one does not replace the other. That does not absolve you of the responsibility of planning and attending ah, the school carnival. Josh. And you know it. Look me in the eye. You know it.
0: Okay, you're right. You're right. But I'm still not volunteering to help. One of the recurring themes on this podcast, I think that we've talked about at least three times, is Sonic the Hedgehog. So the Sonic the Hedgehog movie came out last week. I took two of my daughters and went to see it. Awesome. And it was fine.
1: It was it was (laughs) it
0: was a mild diversion. It was forgettable. Jim Carrey returned to fine form as a scenery chewing bad guy. Genuinely made me laugh several times. Uh, I enjoyed the actor that played Sonic, and it was mostly just fluff. If I were to try to evaluate, I think the the place it did the worst was in the magic system and one of those generic uh, plots that was like right out of a Saturday morning cartoon. But other than that, that
1: I mean, whatever. that's what Sonic the Hedgehog like in in a world with people. It doesn't make any sense because that's not you what know any it, of it the wasn't the
0: Incredibles. About. If their goal was just don't screw it up and make a lot of money, they they win, you know?
1: Yeah. You ever hear of the term shovelware? No. Okay. This was a term that was coined by the software industry in the late 90s, early 2000s. And this uh-huh. was when video games were being developed just fast enough to coincide with movie releases. And so oh, these developers... Yes. Oh,
0: man. I remember like Aladdin the video game or whatever. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, these um, developers would shell out tons of money for the intellectual property rights to actually make a video game with the movie release, but then they wouldn't have any budget left over to make, you know, a game that was playable. And so you had right. this string of just terrible, ridiculously bad video games. But this went the other way because Sonic the Hedgehog started as a video game, and right, right. like there was no clear good way to translate it to a movie. And so you got Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I haven't seen it yet. I probably will see it at some point, and then we can talk about it then. All right. Talk about it for a fourth time.
0: So that brings us to bad at English. So I was looking Excellent. through my, you know, my, my repository of 300 or so terms that I'd written down during my time in England, and I noticed one that I thought kind of related to the subject of today's podcast where you and I are going to do a, a quiz show. So I found Spoilers. one that the British tended to use that was from a different quiz show. Uh, the quiz show that we're going to do today is one called Mastermind. There's another um, quiz show on on BBC called University Challenge. And there's a phrase on it. When you start off a category, they tend to give you an easy question. And they call it a starter for 10. I think that's how many points it's worth in the game show. Okay. So the term starter for 10 uh, is kind of used with the degree of ubiquitousness to refer to something that's easy way to just get off on the right foot so in the u.s we might say i'll take wheel of time for 200 alex and the fact <laughs> that you say 200 means that it would be the top question in the category which means it's likely to be one of the easiest ones
1: only during round two the second round after the commercial break otherwise right, right, be, of I'll take Wheel of course so, so
0: i'll take wheel of time for 100 yes <laughs> exactly so so the 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 british word of the day uh bad english starter for 10 so let me try to use it in a sentence um uh i can't think of one i should have written one out it you just should have means, thought of this before you're usually so I well know. prepared
1: I now know. you're on the spot and now now we're talking about how you're on the spot and you can't I'm come up with something blank. that's just going to make it worse
0: <sighs> that's a good starter for 10 that's our <laughs> british british word of the day
1: I love your British words of the day. You have 300 in a book. Like, Did you have a separate book that, with just English phrases that you carried around?
0: So here's what's – I kept an Excel spreadsheet that I just typed these into at my desk. And, and, but what, what's going to happen <laughs> at some point don't. and why it's so long is occasionally I would stumble in a category where there was a whole bunch of British words about a particular topic that I didn't know about. Let's say, for instance, menstruation where oh, good the, the ladies near me would be like, oh – you like that one, let me give you another. And they'd run off a list of like 15 words that the British uses as, you know, rude slang for menstruation. And I wrote them all down.
1: Well, you're making me uncomfortable. Why, why, why did you have to pick that one? But all right, all right. So you have a bunch of English slang and like we're not using any of those
0: BT right. dubs, right, just right. so you're aware. So yeah, maybe I'll run out sooner rather than later.
1: <laughs> man, yeah. Oh, crap. I got to cut out the menstruation ones. That's like that's like three pages.
0: Jeez. All, all all the uh men's and women's sexual organ ones, those are out. Those yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. We we trying to keep this rated G, man. Like your parents, my parents, they all listen to this.
0: Yeah, those I I were, the British are, are not um shy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's yeah, that's interesting. Like, there's the whole, uh, we're not going to get into British history about how they were so prudish that they kicked people out. But, you know, we're, we're, that's, that's for, we'll have another podcast also, about But like we did history. discuss
0: on a bad, past episode of Bad at English, they also kind of had the foresight to realize that if they were to censor their language and not allow it to blossom and develop, that it would restrict the one of the greatest things about the English language. And that is that all all comers may apply. So you
1: phrase that and couch it in such a way that it sounds like an obvious decision, like from intellectual on high. It's like, of course, we must let the language develop and evolve. That's the only logical thing to do. At the same time, people are still having that same argument today with American English and emojis and acronyms and like the kind of slang that we're hearing in the top 40 like hip hop songs. Sure.
0: and, and it seems like we're stodgy about it until you look at another language that truly is like French, where they have a committee that makes all decisions relating to the language and they don't morph and they don't change and they don't adopt new terms. Like, like every menu item at McDonald's has an officially approved term by the you know, French Language Committee. There's no such thing as a Big Mac in France.
1: That's awesome. That was one of my favorite parts of the book, 1984 where they were deconstructing a language. That's, it's double plus good.
0: Well, speaking of British culture, uh, you know, a long time ago, my mind was fascinated by the idea of going on a quiz show where you got to choose in advance what the topic you were going to be quizzed on was. And I mentioned this to you a year ago when we were in Vegas, uh, maybe even before that, and I'd ask you what you want the topic would be, and you've been very consistent. And so today, welcome to... The Bad at Magic Mastermind Edition, where you and I will be conducting a quiz show where we will quiz each other on the topics of our choice. So okay. you go ahead and tell what your topic you chose was.
1: So before we even get into like the mechanics of what is going to happen, uh, we just need to have a, a frank discussion about our preparedness. Because this is one of the few times where you and I had to prepare in a vacuum, because Whatever feedback we would give each other would give us clues and insight into the quizzes or the questions that we were going to get. And so, like, I'm a little worried that it's going to be asymmetrical. Like, I'm a little worried that I'm going to ask you stuff that, like, any, like, eight-year-old Sunday school kid is going to be able to answer. And at the same time, you're going to be coming at me with, like, proper nouns and specific dates in this chapter of, like, the ninth book or something. So, Or vice versa. Who knows? So,
0: so I, you're. I guess you're right. I guess there's it, – it, is that such a disaster, though, if it comes out like that and it's kind of asymmetrical? Is this just a dumpster fire of, of a Bad at Magic episode, or, or are we just proving that we're bad at magic? It's a Mission disaster if
1: the asymmetry Task goes against me. No, if the... A- <laughs> If the asymmetry goes against me and you answer all your questions and I don't, like I'm going to look like a chump and I don't, I, I, I don't know if my ego can handle so that. So you
0: texted me about this and let me see, here's what, here's what I wrote. You were like, uh, okay, I'm not really sure, you know, you're kind of filling me out on this without trying to reveal any of what we were doing. And I said, I'm trying to ask questions that are challenging, but not too hard, interesting, but not too complex, succinct, but not too short, and that will still be accessible to non-readers of the book series.
1: So all of those fancy government buzzwords just mean you're going to ask me questions. That's what that boiled down to.
0: There's only one way to find out, since we haven't seen each other's question lists.
1: And we transition right into the mechanics of how this is going to work.
0: Nice segue. Go ahead. Let's establish some ground rules. Um, Oh, but before we start, I got to tell you, my wife has read the entire uh, series, so I had her help me make the questions. Like, you didn't have the benefit of having a Mormon in the room. I don't know if you could have asked your sister-in-law or something, but
1: that is another thing that I wanted to bring up because I found myself researching topics for questions to ask you. And I realized like I had to stop halfway through and I'm like, Ben just totally tricked me into reading like half of the book.
0: (laughs) So, okay. Alicia did know about this, but I had to do a lot of reading (laughs) myself. Like I, you had asked me to read uh, some of these books and I'd read like two or three of them and I burned out and stopped. Uh, but I, I didn't hate them. Um, Anyway, so you have chosen the Wheel of Time seri- uh, epic fantasy series by Robert Jordan. And I have chosen uh, Doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, yes. So uh, we've each prepared 20 questions. Oh, oh what I was going to say is, as Alicia was helping me prepare the questions, um, she was on the wiki that we were looking at. It's like a Robert Jordan wiki. It has like 6,000 articles on it or something like that. And she goes, have you looked at this list of trending articles? She's like, I think we're the ones making these articles trend. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty And funny. I looked at it, it was true. It was her and I were making the wiki trend. So, um, so
1: it's the, you're saying is that wiki article had been dead for a long time. Yeah,
0: but her and I just like doing the research for this was bringing articles to the top of the pile.
1: That's really cool. On the flip side of that, if I start getting banner ads in all of my browsers for LDS functions, like, I'm, I'm coming at you, bro. Okay,
0: here's the real litmus test. If the missionaries knock on your door.
1: Oh, if... I, I'm waiting for that day. Come on, like, be nice to know them. know how... My son is I'll one be, of those
0: missionaries right now.
1: I, I will be so nice to them that they think, that they will think that I'm going to lock them in the basement and peel their skin <laughs> off. Like, that's, that's my goal. You don't have a basement... Did I? Ah, uh, no. I think I've told the story about the the, on, the only other Mormon missionaries that I uh, interacted with in a church setting. So we won't. We'll talk about that. Some, we got to get on with the. Okay. With the, okay. With the game so show.
0: here's the rules. So we got 20 questions. We'll do. Uh, we'll do alternating uh, five apiece. Uh, most points at the end wins. Now, if you if you don't know anything about the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints and you haven't read the book yet, spoiler alert, you're going to find out some stuff. Same, same as uh, Wheel of Time series. There's going to be some spoilers. Um,
1: <laughs> so if you haven't read the Book of Mormon yet and you don't want spoilers, go read the book first and then come back. And they, listen to the that's podcast. right.
0: Well said, Josh. I couldn't have said it better myself. Okay. Um, what I suggest you and I do, uh, so that I don't have to edit it in, is we'll take a, we'll pause after the question has been asked, even if we know the answer, just to give the listeners a chance to participate.
1: Uh, I think you should edit in like a cool little sound. Like a like a Jeopardy music between uh, every single question, because then this
0: this podcast might come out three weeks from now. I kind of want to, but just give it a three count, would you? E- no, no problem. Even if you know the answer. Um, okay. Okay. So here we go. Who's going first? Should we? Should we, we rock paper rock, scissors?
1: Paper. We, we, of course we got. This a rock, is scissors this is the Bad sword. Magic podcast. But sir, it is rock paper scissors shoot. Okay. Okay. You you throw on the
0: shoot. Okay. All right. Rock paper rock paper scissors, scissors shoot. shoot. Can you see I mine? Rock. Oh, and I, I and threw I scissors.
1: Okay. So <laughs> you get to choose. So I'm going to ask you questions first. Okay. All right. Let me pull up my, all right. So I, I have a smattering of questions. I pulled from a lot of different sources. I have a lot of different kinds of questions because I didn't want to just have a bunch of like, uh, have a specific kind of question in case you're really bad at it. And I also have sources cited for all of my answers. So if they're wrong, like, I, I have the source, and I'm just going to send it to you in an email, because I'm not going to argue with you about it. Same. Okay. Are you ready? Yep, do it. I have no idea if these are hard or easy, because I know almost nothing about the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but here we go. Uh, this one is actually kind of multiple choice. Which one of the following people was not one of Leahy's sons? Jacob, Joseph, Sam, or Jerem.
0: Okay, I'm giving our listeners a chance to answer. The, the answer is Jerem.
1: Nice. The answer is Jerem.
0: Yeah. Ones like that don't need to be multiple choice. You could ask me to name Lehi's sons, and I can name all of Lehi's sons.
1: Oof. Well, I will do that, then. Okay. I will adjust my questions. All right, you ready for the yep. next one? Um, I was born of goodly parents. My father was a prophet. I was commanded to build a boat and was laughed at by
0: my brothers. Who am I? You... Oh, sorry. I'll give our listeners a chance to answer. You're chastising me, and you're the one that's An- going to stop. The answer is Nephi.
1: Nephi. That That is correct. We should have, like, a sound effect. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. And yeah, this one's multiple choice, but I'm not going to give you the choices. Okay. Mr. I-needed-to-be-harder. I was the Lamantish, Lamantish woman who called the people when the spirit overcame Ammon and the king's household?
0: I believe her name was Abish.
1: Her name was Abish. Wow. All right, now I'm worried that I did not get (laughs) home with the questions. Oh, Ben was not kidding. Okay, question number four. This, oh, crap. These are not hard enough. In addition to the gold plates, what else did Joseph Smith claim to see hidden in the stone box?
0: Ooh, uh okay we'll, we'll give our listeners a second uh in addition to the golden plates there was the breastplate of laban the sword of laban and the the Leahona. maybe okay so yeah okay that's no, my answer I, I...
1: Okay. A sword of so breastplate
0: and a and a ball of curious workmanship.
1: The the answer that I found, whether this is correct or not, like I'll let you dispute, is a breastplate, the urim and the thummim.
0: No, y you, you, you got me there. I don't get the points for this one. I should have said urim and thummim.
1: Okay, those were mystical artifacts that allowed him to translate the plates. Yes, is what I gathered from my reading. Okay, so
0: so that was that was my first miss question.
1: Ooh. Nice. I thought that was going to be too easy. Okay, uh, question number five. Last f- question for the first round. How old was Mormon when he took charge of the Neophyte armies?
0: Fifteen.
1: He was in his 16th year, sir, when he took over the Neophyte armies. That means he's 15. Uh, in his 16th year?
0: Yeah, that's is just it? fancy English for, Are you sh- for 15.
1: Oh, is it? Yeah. Is that fancy British English? Like no, it's like, you yeah, know, yeah. I don't know
0: British English. In his 16th year means.
1: Oh, he wasn't 16 years old yet. It was his. Well, there's some inclusive, exclusive math question here, but I'm, I'll, I'll give it to you. We're, that's a gray area. Okay. You're right.
0: <laughs> I'm four for five this round. Okay. <laughs> All right. So transitioning out of Book of Mormon in early church history of the, of the Mormon church.
1: I'm legitimately nervous okay. over here about this because so, I have so, no idea where you're coming from. So minor
0: group. So these first five are kind of like about the books and the author more than the content.
1: I will probably fail these okay. questions. Well, please go ahead.
0: Here you go. Robert Jordan, writer of the epic fantasy The Wheel of Time, wrote the series under a pseudonym. What was his real name? <laughs> oh fail and have
1: i i have no idea not a clue okay
0: his name was james oliver rigney jr and wow he also wrote under two other pseudonyms in different genres he wrote westerns and like mysteries or something like that okay question two. <laughs> oh i'm gonna fail i'm gonna fail this whole first <laughs> round all right let's go how many books did Robert Jordan originally intend to have in this series before he died of a rare heart disease in 2007 at the age of 58?
1: Pausing for effect. Mm-hmm. He originally, uh, it's either 10 or 11. I'm going to go with 11.
0: I'm sorry, the answer was 12.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, he died after
0: it. publishing the 11th book, and that's if you don't count the prequel.
1: We don't count the prequel and the idea after he died um, and Brandon Sanderson took over, like he had all the man, like half of the manuscript and the notes that he needed to complete what he thought, what Robert Jordan thought was going to be the last book, which actually broke out into three of the longest books of the series. So
0: you're answering the the next question. (laughs) Oh, damn it. (laughs) Brandon Sanderson, question three. Brandon Sanderson was chosen to finish the final book of The Wheel of Time and was given access to all of Jordan's notes for writing the final book by the series editor. Who was that person? Three, two,
1: one. Uh, the series editor was Robert Jordan's wife. I do not have her name at the time. I don't have her name off the top of my head. Her it was name is wife.
0: Harriet Rigney, uh, of course, since his real name was Robert uh, James Oliver Rigney. Woohoo! Yes. And we'll okay. Give, so not, we'll, I'm giving you that we, one. Getting a little better. Thank you. Okay. Question four: What did Sanderson actually end up doing instead of writing the final book?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. That was the that was the pause. I wasn't thinking or flabbergasted for a second. That was the pause for other people to answer. No, he broke the last book into three books. Um, he even said in like an interview that the The manuscript and the notes that Robert Jordan had had it was super long. There was a lot that needed to be tied up, and it had good three clear breaking transition points that he broke into three books.
0: That's the part that's weird to me because when I started reading about this and found out that um, that Jordan, you know, intended to basically conclude the series on a twelfth book, that, that what you just said doesn't jive with the fact that you know when Sanderson took over to write that twelfth book, he had enough to write three more books.
1: This is actually one of the – if you start reading about um, – if you read the books, first of all, m- multiple times. The first time through, it's, it's a roller coaster and it's great. But like the second, third, and fourth readings, you realize that – and a lot of people will complain about in forums and online that there is a lot of plot inertia in the later books. Like really they point at like books 8, 9, and 10 where – I mean like the books are still good but not a lot really changes or happens. Yeah. Like the plot doesn't progress a whole lot at in those books. And this is well. why when – Yeah. And when they turned over the books to Brandon Sanderson, like he, one of the things that was really difficult for him, in my opinion, was he had all of these loose ends that he needed to tie up succinctly, but in a satisfying way. And I, I think he nailed it.
0: Okay. And another thing that I realized is when I looked at the the relative length of the books, they kind of average around 300,000 words and Sanderson wrote three additional books of 300,000 words each. So, you know, there was a lot of material left. There was a lot, and
1: I'll tell you, like, anybody that's read the series, you you ask them. Like, the last three books, they go at, like, a breakneck pace to try to get everything finished up.
0: Yeah, Alicia mentioned that. She says, you know, when when Sanderson took over, the first thing he did was kind of do away with the inertia you were talking about, where he just tied up some loose ends, closed some plot threads, and moved things along.
1: There was a couple of really major plot threads that he tied up in the first book that he wrote in uh, in the prologue. Yeah. Like, just, you know what? We're done with this whole plot. It is over. But it it was still satisfying. It's just done and over. All right.
0: Question five. Not counting New Spring, uh, the prequel, can you name the shortest and or longest books in the series by word count? So I'll give you points if you can pick either one out. Okay.
1: Three, two, one. I believe that the longest book by word count is the last book, A Memory of Light, Um, The shortest book, I'm going to go with A Path of Daggers.
0: All right, you get full points because you got the shortest. The longest is Lord of Chaos at a staggering Uh, 389,000 words. 38% longer than Path of Daggers. Nice.
1: Well, I got one of them, and I had two chances. I I
0: think you went easy on me there, but that's okay. At the end of round one, uh, the score is four for me and three for you.
1: Oh, oh well, now that we're actually going to talk about the book in the, or the books in yeah. the next set of questions, maybe I'll do better.
0: All right, jerk. So give me my All next right. bank of five.
1: Um, should I increase the difficulty of this one? No, I'm not going to. All right. So question number six for Ben about Latter Day Saints doctrine: How many books are in the Book of Mormon?
0: Oh boy. How long do I have to answer?
1: You can count them up. We're not in any time crunch here. It's going to get boring for the listeners. I don't have to regale them with tales of daring do while you sit and count on your fingers. I'm watching him through the webcam, listeners, and he is literally, like, mumbling to himself and, like, putting up fingers as he's naming the books in his head.
0: Okay, I'm I'm feeling the pressure of the time and stuff, but I'm going to say... 16
1: There are 15 books in the book <laughs> oh. of Mormon. Oh. Okay. And no, it's not it was not in its 16th book. This is legitimately only 15 books.
0: All right, so I missed okay. that one.
1: You missed that one. All right. This one this one I almost took out cuz I thought it was going to be too hard. So let's see what it is. This silver coin was worth 4 synnms. And for our listeners, I have absolutely no idea the context of this
0: question. Okay, but I think but, it was but interesting I think to I know me. it. Uh, it okay. it's a Four synonyms is the E P H A H Uh
1: no, the answer is ESROM. 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 All right. So apparently the no, money these was are... based on a 1247 system.
0: These are the right kind of questions. Don't feel bad about these. Keep going. I should have okay. I should have gotten 15. I just the time pressure got to me.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, time pressure gets to me too sometimes. You can ask uh, people about that. All right, moving on. Who was the grandson of King Zenith, who also became king of his people?
0: Ooh, I don't know this one, so I'm going to give a wild guess that's probably a pretty good educated guess and say Pahoran. I have no idea how good that guess
1: is, but the answer is Limhi. Limhi, L-I-M-H-I. Um, it's it's in Mosaic eleven one. if you want to look it up later. No, I'm
0: sure you're right. I'm uh, 0 for 3 this round. <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. It's all right. I, all right. I, sh- you know I should have gotten the number of books in the Book of Mormon.
1: I shouldn't feel bad either. This is Mastermind, and you called your own. Yeah, I did. You,
0: you named you, you You called the weapon you wanted to be killed with, so here it comes.
1: <laughs> Who wrote the title of Liberty?
0: That one. I, I know that one. I'm pausing for a fact that, for that a was captain moroni
1: it was captain moroni solid ding ding so there's there's was that two for you this round
0: yeah okay. no no i've only gotten okay. one this round
1: only one Oof. okay this one is another one of those word questions um we were not bound under the same oath as our fathers we entered the army under the command of Hellman. Hellman considered us his sons which people am i describing
0: those are they are known in the Book of Mormon as the Stripling Warriors. That is correct, sir. Bonus points if you can say how many there were. There were two thousand, and later there were two thousand another few to their numbers.
1: Nice, good, solid round two. I guess the difficulty cranked So I
0: got I got two that round. So I'm at it. I got six after ten questions. That's pretty good. All right. Let's see if I can come back. So I'm transitioning now to asking you about characters in the book. Thank you. Question six. Good. I'm going to read you a quote. You tell me which characters' thoughts are being narrated. Quote, men always seem to think violence could solve anything. If she had a stout stick, she would have thumped all three of them about the shoulders until they saw reason.
1: One of my favorite characters. I'm I'm a pause for effect. Pause for effect. Three, two, one. This is one of my favorite characters for being consistently inconsistent and hypocritical throughout the entire series, and that is Nynaeve Elmira. You got it. So, one of like my other favorite quote from her is, um, I won't shout at you, shouted Nynaeve. Just, <laughs> she's she's like that through the whole series. Men think violence
0: can solve anything. If she had a stick, she would have beaten them for it.
1: <laughs> love it. Love it to death. All right, that's one for me.
0: Question seven. How many... Evil wielders of the one power known as the Forsaken were originally imprisoned in Shavel Ghoul by the creator.
1: It's Shail Ghoul. Whoops. That's fine. No, no, it's it's a pronunciation thing. And I only know that because I listen to the audiobooks. Okay. There were. Crap. 13 Forsaken. Dang it.
0: Why couldn't you get it wrong by one? And we can be even. No,
1: if you asked me to name them, I'd be a little more hard pressed. But um, I there are thirteen. Ooh, I'm
0: not I'm not going hard enough on you then. If you think you could name all thirteen of the uh, Forsaken, geez.
1: Well, they're the major antagonists in the whole book. But that's yeah, fine. but they're these
0: like arcane, cryptic names. Okay, question eight: Which of the three boys from Emmons Field had the has the allegiance of a group of soldiers known as the Band of the Red Hand? Wait, say the question again. Which of the three boys from Emmons Field has, oh, geez. has the allegiance of a group of soldiers known as the Band of the Red Hand who are so loyal to him they would follow him into the Pit of Doom?
1: And they would too. Pause for effect. Three, two, one. We are talking about Matram Cawthon. Yes. Later to be known as Prince of the Ravens. What, they, what does she name him? Ah, he's got another name that he gets later on that is only referenced well, a couple times. You might times, be but, answering
0: yeah. a future question. I'll stop. Question nine. Which character formerly known as Ellen Morin Tedronai, is believed to be the most powerful of the Forsaken and their de facto leader during the War of Power? Pause for effect.
1: Three, two, one. I'm going to go with uh, Ishamael, later known as Moradin.
0: Nailed it. And question ten. Which character believed to be the fabled Dragon Reborn can be plainly identified by the brands of large waterfowl in the palms of his hands
1: you're asking me which character is the main character oh uh,
0: josh maybe there's other readers of the books here that are feeling good about themselves <laughs> right now because they knew the answer to this question just like if there was a mormon listening to this and they heard you ask who nephi was was like Pfft,
1: this guy fair enough all right you know what fair enough no you are talking about the main protagonist of the entire series uh, rand al thor or lose theron Telemon depending on your perspective
0: all right so after 10 questions you stand at eight correct and i have six
1: Woo! you see now you ask questions about inside the books i read in the books not a, i have not read much around the books apparently yeah,
0: well i found that stuff to be interesting as well
1: yeah i should do more research into that if i wasn't just so into the fiction okay So, moving on to our next set of questions. Now, this is where I'm going to transition. Good. I am actually transitioning out of actual the Book of Mormon for a minute, and we are transitioning into um, church doctrine. These questions all have dates for answers. Oh, geez. Okay. Are you ready?
0: Go for it. Okay.
1: Question 11 when was the first printed copy of the book of mormon produced
0: oh boy um i know the decade (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um
1: i'll let you i'll get let you get away with the year
0: yeah uh i am gonna say 1826 So there
1: is a 26 in the answer, but yours is incorrect. It is March 26th, 1830. 1830. Was when the first printed copies were made available. Okay. Uh, Question number 12. When was Brigham Young sustained as president of the church? Okay.
0: I'm going to say 1854.
1: December 27th. 1847 Whew. so um, are these too hard now i feel like you see this is the asymmetry that i was they kind of are now i feel okay, like okay
0: so i'm not telling you my thought process out loud but here's the things i know like i'm telling myself this story like okay uh you know joseph smith received the golden plates and started translating them about 1824 and i knew it was just a couple of years after that so i'm guessing 1826 when it's actually 1830 brigham young became the next prophet of the church after um joseph smith was martyred in 1844 but i know it didn't happen right away and i thought it happened about a decade after so i guessed 1854 which is 10 years later so i'm i'm not i'm not super far off
1: you no, know, you're not far off at all, and I'm not ragging on you for your knowledge. I'm not like I, this is the asymmetry I was worried about because now I feel like I'm just beating up on you. Nah, like oh you're gonna you're, you're gonna challenge me to a quiz off, sir.
0: Go ahead. Next well, let question. Me,
1: let me go to the website and start pulling down stuff that I think might be important. Okay. Um, question thirteen. I'm sorry, Ben. When was the practice of plural marriage ended by the church?
0: Okay. Now these are the kind of questions like I know super easy where to look up, but I don't generally know the answer. I think and to my embarrassment i taught church history in seminary last year and this is one of the lessons i taught i just don't memorize dates i think it was 1890
1: that is correct it was october 6th of 1890 yeah nice these are admittedly very hard uh, but at and the same time I, like I knew that, that, you, that you picked
0: were... a question about plural marriage because there's a crossover to your uh, book series <laughs>
1: well, excellent wonderful big fan all right um so i did not I, I chose i try not to pick these dates out of a vacuum i try to pick very important dates because there were some very inconsequential dates yeah, listed on th- the website. those are important dates okay um yeah in my defense i'm not trying to i'm not trying to beat you up in all right 14 when was the priesthood eligibility expanded to quote every worthy male member regardless of race or color end quote
0: i believe that was
1: wait pause for effect okay
0: I believe that was 1976.
1: It was 1978. Ah. September 30th, to be exact.
0: Made famous
1: by the musical Book of Mormon. (laughs) I believe in 1978, God changed his mind about black people.
0: You knew that date from watching the (laughs) Matt Parker. Yes, I I did.
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. Okay. Now, yeah, sorry. Like factually correct, but just very funny. I was okay. Okay, this one is a little. I don't know if this one's even gonna be this one. What year did church membership reach ten million?
0: Hmm, that's been in my lifetime.
1: Uh, I think it was you're in the early
0: old. '90s, so I'm gonna say 1990. It was 1997.
1: Wow, and I am and I'm sorry for making these questions too hard. Now to to. Uh in my defense, those are the only questions about dates. After that we transitioned to questions that I just picked out of the air that I thought were interesting. So we did so five then,
0: that round and I only got one. Yes sir. Dang. All right, so that Sorry. brings my total to 7 for 7 for 15. Okay. Yeah,
1: I could I could just go to the bathroom for this round and still be in the lead
0: that's that <laughs> well that's my fault i'm picking t- questions that are too hard and, and i tried to make some of these hard for you but i i, I know that like this next one's going to be easy so question 11 which character was leveled up in their ability to access the one power deadpool style through a sadistic technique called forcing
1: pause for effect this was Egwene Alveer, later to be the armorland
0: seat that is correct question 12 over the course of this story, Randolph Thor develops romantic relationships with three different women. I'm going to give you the hard version of this question since you're so far ahead. Name all three? Name all three and the and where they are from.
1: And where they're from. Okay. Pause for effect. Pause for effect. All right, so we've got three. Let's name them in the order that he met them. The first person he met in book one was Min Farshaw. She was from Berylon in Andor. The second person he met was... Egwene, no Egwene, Elaine Trichand, who was the daughter heir of uh Camelin. No. Yeah, Camelin, uh in Andor. And the third was Ooh, what's her last name?
0: She doesn't oh, oh, have one. Uh,
1: she doesn't have one, right? So it's Avienda of the Tardot. Oh no, the Nine Valley Sept of the Tardot Iel. That's who it is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> full, full marks and <laughs> I, i'm looking at the rest of my questions and i'm like i did not make this hard enough <laughs> all right question 13 oh, wait wait wait. what was his solution to the fact that he fell in love with three different women
1: it wasn't really his solution he throughout the books was trying to push them away to keep them safe because he thought he was destined to die spoiler alert everybody but uh, really, those three agreed amongst each other that they were all going to enter into like a plural, like, a, what do they call that? Like, uh, an, not an open relationship, but like a, a multiple, like, they were all going to share them and the three women were okay with it. And he was actually the last person to find out that. And so they just kind of tag
0: teamed him throughout the book. Wow. <laughs> okay. So uh, plural marriage in both of our qu- quizzes not just that but like uh, uh elaine
1: gets knocked up with twins avienda's gonna have quadruplets like it's crazy
0: anyway please continue question 13 uh and i'm gonna pronounce this wrong but moraine damadred was once that's actually pretty good was once thrown into a pond by a man she suspected to be a dark friend and it attempted to sneak up on what was that man's name and what did his relationship to moraine become
1: pausing for effect pausing for effect so they mention that in the main book series, and they actually describe the scene in the prequel The New Spring, and that is Landman Dragorin, who is the uncrowned king of Malkir, later to become her warder for many,
0: many years. Correct. Question 14. When Perrin Ibarra becomes a wolf brother, he's given a new name by the wolf pack. What is that name?
1: Pausing for effect. Pausing for effect. So uh parent is one of my favorite characters again he's one of the main characters so he's probably everybody's favorite but uh, his ability to talk to wolves and wolves don't talk like we do so they don't recognize human names they have names that are big and elaborate Uh, the name they give him is young bull and it's kind of a joke like when they give it to him but they call him young bull
0: and question 15 uh time being represented by a giant seven-spoked wheel the turning of this wheel and the events of each age generate the Great Pattern, a predefined plan which defines the past, present, and future. Which of the seven ages are the events of the book series set in?
1: Wow. Oh, man, Ben. Like, this is literally in, the per- in like, the first paragraph of the first chapter of every one of the books.
0: Oh, is it? See, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the kind of thing I don't know because I, I haven't read them.
1: Because you haven't read the books, right. But, like, if you had okay. read the first page of book one, it, you would know that the books, all the books open with, as the wheel of time turns, ages come and pass. and uh, Oh, stories in this age become the legends. And the... Yeah, there's a whole thing. Okay. Uh, in one age called the third age by some. Great.
0: You got it. Okay, so <laughs> you missed the first two questions and you haven't missed one since. So you are 13 for 15. Uh, let, go ahead and we'll do the last set and you can put me out of my misery
1: oh jeez, man i'm so sorry like i feel i, I legitimately feel are, are bad these bad questions i'm questions. asking
0: you like I, I didn't realize they were going to be so elementary
1: yeah they're pretty elementary like honestly i was worried you were going to be asking about like tertiary or no like, i didn't really want to do that characters. i
0: didn't want to ask questions that were like pick some obscure character that you might not remember you
1: probably should have gone a little harder because i have a very good memory i've read these books like five times and you're asking questions about the main characters all right sorry not to mention like that like the last one like they literally mentioned that in every book all right sorry <laughs> moving on so these are the last five questions. These are questions that I pulled, like, I spent way too long on the LDS website, which makes available all this information, and shame on you for tricking me into researching so hard about LDS doctrine. This was, um, this
0: was not a, uh,
1: a not a research project, Not a, not an underhanded attempt to get me to convert. I understand. I know. I'm making a joke. Like, listeners, legitimately, Ben and I have been doing this little dance back and forth for <laughs> decades now. He knows, I know, we're good. Okay, question 16. This is, this is probably my favorite question. What are the pieces of the whole armor?
0: Ooh. Okay, so this is, this is out of the New Testament. So we aren't the only ones that, uh, under, that believe in the, the whole armor of God. So Paul talks about the whole armor of God, which is having your, uh, on your head the helm of salvation... The breastplate of righteousness, your loins girt about with truth, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and carrying with you the sword of truth, which is the spirit of God. That, I mean, full marks,
1: because you got you, you got one that I didn't have listed, but I remember reading it, not thinking it was real, and the only one you missed that's not on my list is the shield of faith.
0: Ah, shield of faith. Dang, I missed one. I,
1: no, you're you're totally fine because you to named quench one of the fiery item list. darts
0: of the adversary. Wow!
1: Yeah, you almost quoted that whole section. So yeah, full points. You're you're good. Okay. Okay. Um, by what method are priests and teachers ordained?
0: Okay, so priests and teachers are ordained by the laying on of hands.
1: That is correct. I guess that was probably too easy. Okay. This one, I, I'm not trying to be snarky. Like, this is how I, I read this whole section, and this is the best way that I figured to phrase this question. Why did the miracles
0: stop? Hmm. I'm trying to imagine where you found this, like what context it came in. What I think, what I think it may have been in is in context to uh, something that's prophesied in the New Testament called the apostasy. And that is when Christ was on the earth, he set up his church, and an organization and along with that church was the priesthood. And along with that priesthood was the ability to conduct miracles by God's power in his name. Uh, but the the church fell apart. The priesthood was lost. And with it, the ability to conduct miracles in God's name. So that's, that's my answer, the apostasy. The apostasy is your answer? Yep.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to have to have you interpret my answer because I have a direct quote from Mormon 920. That says, and the reason why he ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men is because that they dwindle in unbelief and depart from the right way and know not the God in whom they should trust.
0: Yeah. Or, yes, that's another another way to describe apostasy.
1: I'm going to take your word for it, and there you go. Okay. Number 19. Also, again, I'm pulling these questions because I thought they were interesting to me. What are LDS members commanded
0: to be? Mm, That's kind of a vague question. I don't know how to answer it.
1: It is. um, I pulled a direct quote from 3 Nephi, if that helps.
0: From 3 Nephi. Give me the full reference.
1: The full reference? 3 Nephi
0: 1248.
1: Uh, Perfect. He got it. Quote, Therefore, I would that ye should be perfect, even as I or your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Yeah, and that's Christ speaking. I like that. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's a pretty narcissistic, Christ.
0: <laughs> it's that's <laughs> what he says. Be like me. I'm
1: perf. I'm perfect, and you should be too. That sounds like a snake oil salesman selling books,
0: <laughs> or the savior of the world.
1: <laughs> Details, semantics. All right, here we go. Um. Question number 20. This is possibly the hardest or the easiest question, depending on your perspective. Wow. And yeah, are you prepared? Like, this is a serious question.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Why?
1: Silence. Like, there, like, so obviously, listeners, there is no correct or incorrect answer to this question. Wow, you really caught me
0: off guard with this one.
1: I'm giving Ben a podium and a soapbox. Okay. Let's see what he does with it.
0: Okay. Well, so here's where I think our two um, our two quiz quizzes are intertwined. At the heart of the Wheel of Time is this idea that there is some greater power that has a plan for all of the people and that it follows a pattern that was set out before the people came. And I don't think that that story that gets told in the Wheel of Time and in the Matrix trilogy and in, you know, uh, the man with uh, the hero with a thousand faces is gets retold so many times just because it's appealing to the human DNA. I think that it transcends humanity because we have a creator.
1: That's good. I like that. So. Uh, I um, Judges, judges score. I'm seeing. okay, we got two out of three, so we're going to give you that one.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's put me out of my misery here. Oh, you'd asked about uh, transmitting the priesthood. Um, I think it's timely that you asked that because my um, second son's preparing to serve his full-time mission in uh, South America. He leaves in about five weeks, and uh, he just received the priesthood that he'll need to go on that, and I gave it to him by the laying on of hands. And I have a piece of paper uh, that documents my priesthood line of authority to give that to him since we believe in giving the priesthood by the laying on of hands so i can trace my priesthood authority back in 14 steps to christ himself i can name every person on the list to jesus christ and then i transmitted that authority to my son and so his line of authority is just mine plus one
1: hmm. the n plus one iteration yeah that's cool yeah. um that should have been question 20 name the 14 people back to christ that gave you your authority as a priest but we're not going to do that right now
0: okay so question 16 for you uh the children of light are so zealous in their search to root out dark friends that they are indiscriminate in their accusations of allegiance to the dark one what event do these white cloaks blame on the Aes Sedai that is the source of the tension between the two groups
1: pausing for effect three
0: two
1: one so the Children of the Light rightly blame the breaking of the world on the Aes Sedai, even though technically it was only the male Aes Sedai that did it all. But they still blame the female Aes Sedai, which are, all the Aes Sedai now are female in the present of the books.
0: That's correct. Question 17. In order to become an Aes Sedai and gain access to one power, uh, you must make the three O's using the Rod. What is the unintended consequence of using the Oath Now you see,
1: this is a good question. It's a major plot point for the later books, but it is still a good question. A little more nuanced, a little more detailed. So the Oath Rod, basically, when you channel the One Power into it and then swear an oath on the Oath Rod, it binds you to that oath, which makes it like into your bones. Like you cannot break your word, whatever you swore on the Oath Rod. The Aes Sedai famously swear three Oaths on the Oath Rod. And as a consequence, they, they get this ageless face, like that you can't tell how old or young that they are. But it also, like, halves their lifespan.
0: That is the answer.
1: Can I go into depth on that? Because it's
0: awesome. Yeah, because so, I was reading into this, and I found out there's also another consequence of it. Because they thought they just wanted to... to say what the three O's are.
1: So the three O's are that the, the I Aes I will never speak a word that is not true. So they cannot outright lie. Um, they will never create a weapon for one man to kill another. So they won't like they they could imbue the one power into weapons and make them amazing, but they don't.
0: Or they could use weapons that someone else made.
1: Or they okay. And then the third one is that they will not use the one power as a weapon, except in defense of their life against darks, uh, dark friends, shadow spawn, or in the defense of their warder or other sisters.
0: Were you reading that from somewhere?
1: No. Why?
0: Well, well that's probably how I sounded when I was reciting the armor of God. <laughs>
1: all right so there you go um what's what i find fascinating about this is if you read into the context of some of the books the like all the forsaken were alive in the age of legends when all this crap was made and the I said i currently have no idea what any of this was actually originally for and it sounds like the oath rod that they hold in such high esteem was actually a punishment that they made criminals swear that they would never do the thing that they did again on the oath rods like tim carry on liar liar (laughs) yeah exactly like if you convicted a murderer or a thief and you're like, you're like, all right, well, this is the third time it caught you. You get to swear on the Oath Rod. It cuts your life in half, and we can guarantee that you will never steal again.
0: Wow. One thing I found fascinating about it is this idea that what they were doing is kind of the source of their power also was such a negative thing, not just that it cut their life in half, but that it's useful to be able to make weapons and lie.
1: Well, so, and I want to point this out, that the Oathrod didn't actually give them their power. The Oathrod was a rite of passage to have the title of Aes Sedai. There were other people, lots of other people in the books that could channel the one power that did not have Swear in the Oathrod. And that's why we have uh, some of the male channelers created weapons later in the series. We had um, Aiel Wilders that were doing random things. All right, so, sorry, I'm getting too into the weeds
0: all right cool stuff there i'm I'm glad i stumbled into an interesting area question 18 (laughs) which of the 14 nations of the westlands has a marriage custom which allows for an instant marriage if both parties describe each other as their spouse in front of witnesses
1: nice i like this question three two one so this is uh the sean chan which is actually one of the nations that's on the far side of the ocean that they came back to invade, but they're not really invading, they're coming home, it doesn't matter. So it's the Shan Shan, and for nobility, one of their customs is that since the two nobles might be separated by hundreds of miles, then as long as one of them says three times before witnesses, this person is my spouse. Like, he is my husband, he is my husband, he is my husband, boom the other person has a year and a day to say the same thing about the other person in front of witnesses doesn't even have to be the same witnesses if they say she is my wife she is my wife she is my wife three times they're legally married
0: yeah i thought that was kind of fun so i included that
1: there's a there's a it's a major plot point for a relationship in the book which is it creates this great tension which is crazy
0: uh it, it but it isn't one sided they both have to do it
1: they both have to do it. And one. this is what the tension is. Like, spoilers, everybody. One of the characters says it unwittingly, doesn't realize what he's saying, and says it three times. And then, on like, a book and a half later, you find out what the custom actually is. And now he's got kind of this axe hanging over his head that if the woman says it again, then he's married. Boom, done.
0: <laughs> you mean there's no t- – no, it doesn't have to be all at once? Like, if you just say it three times in front of witnesses at some point in your life?
1: No, well, so you have to say it like three times in a row, right now, in front of witnesses, and then the other party has a year and a day
0: to reciprocate. Okay. Okay. Uh, I like the idea better than just at any point in your life. Because, you know, there was like, yeah, we used to play like houses, kids, and be like, you're my wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes me wonder if if I have like a secret wife out there somewhere that I don't know I'm married to.
1: (laughs) You've got servants following you around. Uh, Sir, that's two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, question 19. Following this schism, the Aes Sedai were divided into seven Aja named after their colors. Which Aja is known for devoting themselves to questions of philosophy and truth?
1: Three, two, one. So the white Aja is all about logic and truth. Uh, let's see. There's the blue Aja, which is uh, they go after causes. Am I, am I spoiling No, the no, question? no.
0: Go ahead and show off and, and see if you can name all of all seven slash eight.
1: Okay, there's white, blue, 7 slash 8. Oh, ha <laughs> 8. Uh, red, uh, red, which their, their whole objective is to track down male channelers, which would go crazy and die later on to change, but that doesn't matter. Uh, green, which is the battle aja to stand ready for the last battle. Uh, there's the brown, which wants to preserve uh, history and knowledge. There is uh, the gray, which are diplomats. They're all about trying to resolve conflict peacefully. And there is, I say Yellow. Gray, white. Ah, thank you. Yellow. All about healing. Uh, They're all about trying to heal the wounds and sicknesses in the world. And then there's the alleged eighth Aja, which is the Black Aja. Yes, the Demir Guild. The Demir Guild, yes. These are the people, the Aes Sedai, that are secretly also dark friends working for the other side, but they live their lives as Aes Sedai, trying to blend in normally. And there's way more of them than there should be.
0: Sweet. Um, How did the Green Aja get around the second Oath?
1: So the second oath says you won't use the power as a weapon uh, except no, against no, Shadow Spawn you won't make or Dark a Friends. Oh, you, they don't make weapons. They just don't. They use it directly as a weapon. Okay. So th- they go to battlefields against Shadow Spawn and just start hurling fire at
0: them. Got it. All right. And question 20. This this one I thought was kind of fun. and might lead into a discussion we can use to wrap up here. There's evidence in the books to suggests that the mythology of the Wheel of Time encompasses a past or future Earth, as in our planet. If the books are set in the third age, what age are we in now? Three, two,
1: one. So there's a lot of speculation that we are in the second age, which would be known as the Age of Legends. Because they have a lot of allegories that sustain, that talk about like stuff that we have. And there's a couple of scenes in some of the early books that they flash back all the way to the Age of Legends. Like they clearly had cell phones. They clearly had airplanes. They clearly had cars. Like They had a lot of things that we take for granted. They had indoor plumbing. That was another one. Um, One interesting thing that I always liked is they talk about, there's one reference in one book where um, somebody mentions like, oh, one of the Forsaken said that back in the day, anybody could use this thing that requires the one power, but they just used what was known as the standing flows, which sounds an awful lot like electricity. Like even people that don't know how to make this stuff work can make it work by plugging it into the wall. So, there. Is that. Is that enough of a explanation?
0: Yeah. The, some of the evidence I'd seen suggested that that, w- that the age you're talking about is the first age, not the second.
1: Oh. Oh, before the... Well, so they never reference, like, they call it the age of legends. They never say if it's the second or
0: the first Right, or the, and I, I, the, or the fifth. Yeah, that's it. That They think the age... So, I'm not going to give you that one. So, uh, yeah. are <gasps> <for> you. Oh. <laughs> face (laughs) there's some fun fun. you know if you want to look through there there's quotes from a lot of the books i found on this wiki i was looking at of of things where they describe future or past events of that that sound like you know the the moon landing or a mercedes-benz logo or uh, queen elizabeth or fun things like that so it's it's clever
1: he did a good job of sprinkling references to things that exist in the real world today
0: Okay, so your was, final score is 17 of 20. Josh, you definitely, if you ever go on Mastermind, you need to tell them the Wheel of Time.
1: <laughs> I need to read up on the stuff surrounding the Wheel of Time, obviously. But Yeah, I, I told you. I, I, I've read yeah. those books way too many times. Nailed man. it, man. Uh, how many? Uh,
0: did, were you keeping my total? I no, lost track. No. I uh, lo- it,
1: w- it was confirmed that you lost hard. I stopped, I, 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 I'll, stopped I'll,
0: counting. I'll make a score sheet in the show notes.
1: Uh, listen... This is more of a function of I just had no frame of reference for what was going to be hard and what was going to be easy.
0: Yeah, Alicia was kind of pushing me to make them a little bit harder, but I wanted them to just, yeah. I I thought they brought out a good discussion.
1: I also, I'm very happy that I brought up the asymmetry as one of my worries at the beginning of this conversation. And then it flipped around and you were the victim of the thing I was worried about. Yeah, it's okay, man.
0: (laughs) All right. So that concludes a uh, bad at magic mastermind edition. Maybe we'll revisit something similar at some point in the future. Uh, I'd be interested to hear from our audience. You know, if you want to go on our Facebook or our Reddit uh, and what, what topic would you say if you were going to um, have be a guest on mastermind and have to be asked question about something you, you know, a lot about um, speaking of I interaction think, with go ahead.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to totally bust into your like busting into the, your transition into the interaction, in the next episode stuff. Uh, I think maybe we should revisit this topic on a future date, but instead of us trying to work in a vacuum of something we don't know about, but the other person does, we should pick something we both know about and then ask each other questions about that.
0: It's almost like we need an independent arbiter, like have our wives come up with the questions or something.
1: I can tell you right now that my wife would be super happy to tell me no to my face when I asked her that question.
0: <laughs> okay, but your wife surprised me this week, and and I want to give her a shout out because... Uh, she was one of the only people that voted for my uh, book that I nominated for the reading list.
1: <laughs> that yeah, she's much more of a nonfiction reader too, so that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how did how did the book poll come? So out? So I total I tallied up the book poll, um, and and it, this is as unscientific of the poll as you could have, because I think you and I both voted multiple times. But the, the uh, voting – so the four books, to remind our, <laughs> our audience, is How We Measure Your Life by, by Clayton Christensen, uh, Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, The Here with a Thousand Faces by I Can't Remember, and Legion, The Many Lives of Stefan Leeds by Brandon Sanderson. Um, and the Facebook voting came out at an even – each book got an even number of votes. so Each no,
1: book got two votes, which was hilarious.
0: No, no help, thank you, Facebook so we had to go to reddit for the tiebreaker so on reddit um people only voted for your books even me <laughs> so you know,
1: that's something i wanted to bring up because you like you said we both voted twice like i voted on facebook and i voted on reddit but i voted for the same book both times you voted for two different books i, man. I
0: changed my vote on reddit <laughs> I, I, and when i looked at it, i'm like who did that oh that's me oh why did i do that <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have changed the outcome, though. Uh, the winner is Legion, The Many Lives of Stefan Leeds, with 38% of the vote. So I'll put that up, and that uh, that will that, now I know how to spend my Audible credit this next month.
1: So apologies to everybody that isn't a big fan of the book reviews. Um, my only uh, consolation to you is that this book is really good. It's very interesting. It is unlike any book I've ever read, and it's only 10 hours long. And even, and even that it's broken up into three like little vignettes. So you can easily digest like one of these stories uh, over the course of a long afternoon's worth of chores.
0: Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of our teaser for next time. So next time, you know, Josh and I'll be doing the usual just bad English and talking about whatever happened during the week. And then we'll be doing a book review of Legion, the many lives of Stephen leaves by Brandon Sanderson. So if you'd like to give that one a listen, great. Um, if someone from Audible's out there and you want to um, sponsor the podcast, <laughs>
1: <laughs> we talk about a lot of books here.
0: Yeah. And I think that's it.